Welcome to the Life Well-Lived Podcast. I'm Kayla Brandon, a holistic health coach and wellness enthusiast. I am absolutely obsessed with learning about people who live their most authentic lives. In this podcast, you'll hear stories about those who truly live a life well-lived and what they do mentally, spiritually, and physically to get there. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of practical advice on pursuing a life with purpose and passion. This week, I interviewed Carrie Schwier, an executive lifestyle coach, speaker, corporate trainer, and author. She is also a certified giant worldwide guide specializing in leadership transformation and development. And did I mention Carrie genuinely loves her life? A lot. And does it all without alcohol? In this episode, we discuss her former life as a gray area drinker, which led to launching her own business, Gray Tonic, in 2018. We also talk about what action to take if you're feeling stuck, unhappy, or lacking purpose, which I'm sure is something we can all relate to. We cover so many important topics in this episode, and I'm just thrilled for you to hear Carrie's story in her own words. Without further ado, let's get into it. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Kayla. I'm really excited to be with you today. I'm so excited to chat. We have like so many different topics, like a wide range to talk about today. But before we dive into all of that, I would love to hear more in your own words. You um, introducing yourself. Tell us about what you do, who you are, you know, the holistic overview. Oh, well, that is a loaded question for sure. The short version is I am a 50 plus year old woman married for 30, almost four years and I reside in Richmond, Virginia, and I absolutely love my life. For the very first time in my entire life, can I say that? And it has been a journey to get here, but I am here and I am excited to share a little bit about what I do, why I do it, and how I can help your listeners today with a gold nugget or two that they can take away in their own life and hopefully get them on the track where they can feel that same way. It's it's amazing to hear that you love your life so much. So, um, of course, we can get into that in a little bit. I would love to hear more about what led you to loving your life to the extent that you do because a lot of people, I think, they're okay, they're content, um, but to really have that passion and zest for your own life, um, especially after being married for over three decades, um, (laughs) says a lot about you. Um, So – before we dive into that, I would love to talk about your your business, Gray Tonic. What led you to create that company? Oh my gosh! It you know it's it's such a great story in itself, and and it, it I never even sought out to start my own business. That is the best part about this story is because I never once had any inclination for me to become an entrepreneur. It found me, and how that happened was I quit drinking in 2016, and I went the traditional route of going to AA. It was a great program, learned a lot. I'm very thankful for the time that I did spend in AA, but it was not a good fit for me. So I ended up leaving the program wondering, what the heck am I? I don't even understand how I got here. Like, what is going on? I didn't see myself as an alcoholic. I didn't identify with being an alcoholic. I didn't understand the world of recovery. And at that time, I ended up working with a coach And that coach really changed my entire life. He said three things to me during that three-month term that we worked together. And he said, Carrie, I really think that you're going to be a coach yourself someday. And I think that you're going to start your own business. And I think you're going to share your story with the world. In which I responded with belly laughs and a 
and a couple hell knows, you must be smoking crack, dude, because that's never going to happen. And little did I know that a year later, I'm in church. I'm going to start a small group at my church. It, they already had a recovery group at the church, and I wanted to do something around the gray areas of drinking and gray areas in general in life. And we just never came to a conclusion that worked for both of us. And I left the church over it. What a blessing, because later that day, my girlfriend called and said, what's going on? I tell her the story. She says, Carrie, I don't understand why you are allowing the church to dictate what you want to do. Why don't you just start something on your own? And it was like a ton of bricks hit me. And I was like, yeah, I'll show that church. I don't need them. And in 2018, Great Tonic was born. And it literally, it I had no designs in doing any of this. It just unfolded. And I think my coach the year before had planted these seeds for me in my head and it became all true for me. And I had no idea that that was going to be the trajectory of my life, but I'm internally grateful to him and to the church and to everyone who played a part in my life and my journey at that time, because I, I can't believe that I live this life right now. That's, that's incredible. And for those who aren't aware, what is gray tonic? Because I feel like when you hear the words gray tonic, you might think it's a drink, but it's absolutely yes. not, could not be further from it. <laughs> yeah. So gray tonic. Well, let me just break down the name in itself. So I, I chose this name for a couple of reasons. One, I really like tonic water. When I quit drinking in 2016, I had a hard time in the beginning, like a lot of people do. It's like, what do you replace it with? And tonic has such a good bite to it and all that. And, you know, we know it's a mixer for gin. We understand all that. But what tonic really means at the core is it means invigorate, strengthener, a boost, a pick-me-up, energizer, invigorate. It means all these beautiful, actionable words that really uplift someone. And I thought, my goodness, I really loved that word. And I happened to also be working out again at the gym. And I bought a shirt, a little uh, sleeveless t-shirt from TJ Maxx. It was sitting on the end cap for $14.99. And it said gym and tonic on it. And I was like, well, isn't that the cutest little thing? So I buy this shirt, not realizing that that shirt would be the inspiration of my business name. So the gray areas is really what I focus on. And my coaching practice originally started with me just talking about gray area drinking. Gray area drinking is the space between socially drinking, just you know, take it or leave it type of drinker and severely abusing alcohol. Now, there are three stages of alcohol abuse disorder, mild, medium, and severe. And someone who's in the gray area is abusing alcohol. They are in that mild and medium categories, but they're not yet to that severely abusing alcohol category. And I learned about this term in 2018, actually, this the same year that I started my business, that summer, I heard the term on a podcast interview with uh, one of my favorite people back then. Um, she actually was my, my very first business coach. And when I heard this, I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I knew I never identified with being an alcoholic, but I didn't know what I was. So hearing this term really helped solidify in my mind that I could almost put my identity to it and say, yes, that's exactly what I was. And because I was 
this successful person in business and had all the things, the nice house, the husband, the cars, you know, outwardly looked successful. I really felt like I just didn't fit in to this severely abusing category when that wasn't my story. And I really struggled with that. And I, I knew there was other people out there like me that would raise their hand if they knew about this term. And so originally that's what gray tonic mission was only was to really spread this awareness about gray area drinking and how I do that was through coaching. And that's how I started the business. And I still coach on gray area drinking. Most of my clients do have, you know, a, a negative relationship with the alcohol and that's an area that they want to work on, but it has since expanded since then. So I'm, I'm, I kind of look at myself as the tonic to the gray areas of, of someone's life. And it doesn't matter what gray area that they have. And I'll say this too. Yes, I've been married almost 34 years, but when I was on my 30th year of being married to my husband, Rob, I didn't want to be married anymore. We were, we, we came to this place in our marriage. Um, and I think every marriage marriage goes through this at some point or another, especially long-term marriage where you just look at each other like, yeah, your roommates, you know, your roommates at best, you might, you might be intimate, once every three to four weeks, if lucky, but you know, you're, you're basically roommates living together, passing, you know, two ships passing in the night, so to speak. His head was constantly down. He was miserable at work. He, you know, gained a bunch of weight. I had gained a bunch of weight. We were both miserable and we're trying to figure out like why we're so unhappy. And I got to the place, honestly, Kayla, that I said, I don't know if I want to be married to you anymore. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't want to strap in for another 30 years if this is what it's going to be like, because this is not joyful. And the ironic part was I was already, of course, alcohol-free. I was already in my business for a full year and I'm coaching people on their gray areas. And here I am in this marriage that just didn't feel good. And so we had to really strap in and do the work. And thankfully, and I am so grateful to God that he allowed us to come back together again in a really strong, beautiful way. We're, we're closer now than we've ever been. And we both had to put the work in. So we had this, you know, big gray area in our life, which was our marriage. I had my gray area drinking life. And before, uh, well, it was two careers before I started my business, I was in the medical field for a long time. And I was really in a gray area with my career. I just was not enjoying it. I absolutely hated the the one job that I had. It was very stressful, very hard on me. And that's when my drinking really became a, a lot uh, harder on my, on my body and myself because I was using alcohol as a way to cope with my day and how much I didn't like it. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, it becomes so easy for us to just come home from work and pour a glass of wine or two and escape the day. That's a very common thing for a lot of people. Absolutely. I think most people I know, I mean, I think it's you're in the minority if you don't have a drink at the end of a long day. Yeah. Most people, unfortunately, that's just the culture we live in. Um, and I'm not saying it's right because I'm also sober. Um, I don't drink alcohol. So, um, and for me, I was never, my issue was never like every night, but it was every Friday night. And like even if it's just one day a week or, you know, two days a week, whatever it looks like, you don't even need to necessarily binge and have like five, six drinks. If it makes you feel like not like yourself and you feel fatigued and like 
less of the authentic version of yourself the next day and you don't like that, then I personally think that's an issue because I, I really think the awareness around it is so key because so many people just wake up the next day and they're like, oh, this is just how you're supposed to feel in life. But once you take a break from it, you realize that's not how you're supposed to feel. You're not supposed to feel, you know, fatigued and hungover and anxious and depressed and bloated and all those things that alcohol does to you. Um, You're not supposed to feel that way the next day. You're supposed to feel refreshed. So if alcohol is making you feel like crap and you want to change that, I think that's also another probably area of gray area drinking that you can probably elaborate on that you don't necessarily even have to have this massive problem, quote unquote problem, air quotes, um, with alcohol for you to stop. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Most most gray area drinkers never have a rock bottom. I did not. Right. Most people don't. And so when we think of a problematic drinker, somebody has a, a real big problem with, with drinking, you know, we think, oh my gosh, they got a DUI. They did something really stupid. They cheated on their spouse or, you know, it's always this, this big thing. But for most gray area drinkers, it's not that. And because it's such a wide spectrum of drinkers, so many people fall into this gray area, whether or not they they think they do, um, or if you sus- if you even suspect it, you probably are in that gray area. So you know, I had someone tell me early on, I had a few people plant some seeds for me, and and really, I feel like that is that is my goal for anybody I talk to about gray area drinking is if all I'm doing is planted a seed for somebody, then I've done my job because a few people planted a seed for me. And a couple of those seeds that were planted were for my husband and a good friend of mine, uh, Kirby. And I'll never forget Kirby saying to me, you know, Carrie, I know you love your wine, girl. I know you do. I love it too. But there's going to come a time that you're not going to be able to enjoy it anymore. And I'm starting to wonder if you're getting to that place where it's becoming a problem. And I remember her saying that to me and and Kirby did my eyelashes. I used to get eyelash extensions uh, years ago (laughs) and she was my eyelash girl. I mean, we, we became very close the girl knew pretty much everything about me. And it was one of those, one of those moments in time where you're, you're just, holy cow, somebody else is like someone really close to me. Cause I'd, I'd show up every Saturday morning and I'd, you know, I was drinking the night before, of course it was Friday night. Of course I'm drinking. And so then I might complain like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I was running late. I, you know, I, I drank too much last night or we were at a friend's house or a party's house or whatever the excuse was just feeling like garbage. And so that was one. And then my husband had said something to me on, on a few occasions, like, you know, Hey babe, like really, do we have to drink every night? Do we have to go to the you know, this party and drink like a whole bottle of wine. Like, do we have to do those things? You know, saying things like that, it was starting to really become more aware to me. And I think once someone has this, this gut instinct inside and you're starting to ask those internal questions, am I drinking too much? And really how much is too much? And well, and then we got all the excuses that come with it. Well, my friends do it and it's so normal. Everyone does it. Why do I think I might have a problem when everyone else does it? And we start doing the comparison, you know, back and forth between what others are doing. But it's really that internal dialogue and that inclination that's in the belly, that's stirring around saying, I think I might be drinking too much. And as soon as that voice comes about, my plea is for you to really pay attention to that. That self-awareness is absolutely critical for you to pay attention to. 
And here's the thing, Kayla, everybody gets to their place of their own enough. And that looks different for every single person. Maybe you just wake up one day and you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Maybe you wake up one day and you realize that you've missed an important uh, meeting or you missed something very important with one of your children and you disappointed them. You know, whatever it takes for you to really own up to it and start asking yourself those questions and going deeper in it and not being afraid, not pushing the voice away, that is the most critical thing that you can do is to really, really listen and not be afraid because the tide is turning, Kayla. You don't drink. I don't drink. There are so many people that are choosing to not drink now, and it is, it's becoming more popular, believe it or not. I mean, yes, there's more drinkers than there are non-drinkers, but the tide is turning, and we are starting to really see this uptick with the sober, curious movement, with the gray area drinking movement. I mean, there's so many things out there Um, Even like in my city, I created a non-alcoholic social group on Facebook. We have 820-something members in less than two months of creation. Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's like this movement that's happening. So it's, it's out there. It's out there. People want to be with other people that are like them. And so if you are that person like, oh my gosh, I won't have a social life if I quit drinking. I promise you, you just haven't found your people yet. They're out there. They really are. And they can be on the internet too. Like you like you created a Facebook in your community, but there are so many people on, you know, social media and yes. I, I, for lack of a better word, influencers, you know, sober yes. influencers or sober curious influencers. And they're so responsive. That's kind of how I got into learning about sobriety was really Instagram. And I just literally looked up the hashtag sober. And I clicked on one of the first posts I saw because I was so desperate on an airplane, just like, please help me. I'm so hungover. I can't do this again. And from then on, it like sparked a friendship, sparked a community. And she gave me so many resources. And that was within like, you know, five minutes of just looking online. Like, so to your point, it is becoming more popular And it also, just for the people that are listening that are nervous to even dip their toes in it, it doesn't have to be something that you declare from the rooftops if you're you're trying it out. Like this does not have to be a journey that you post all about on social media and say, hey, once and for all, I'm quitting drinking. This can be very, very private for as long as you want it to be or forever. Um, It's really – that's just my personal belief because I think some people are so comfortable sharing their lives on the internet. Like I personally am. I, d- I don't really have a filter um, to a certain extent. But then there's a lot of people that just really want to keep everything to themselves and especially something as personal as the decision to quitting drinking alcohol. So um, there are so many different avenues you can take. And I know that you said you you quit drinking in 2016. And I'm just curious to know what is your relationship to both alcohol and work today versus when you quit seven years ago? Because that's it sounds like you were just in a totally different mindset in both areas of your life with drinking and with working. Oh gosh, I was such a hot mess. I mean, you know, I like I said before, I looked the part. I certainly portrayed the part that I had it all together and successful and all the things, right? Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean anything. I was so empty inside during that time. And 
you know, I think it was, you know, Rob and I, our, our marriage was starting. That's, that was the year that it started kind of getting to this place of complacency. And really that's what the gray area is. We, you know, when we talk about other gray areas of our lives, it's about being complacent, being in this mediocrity of just existing and settling and being average and not knowing that there's so much more out there. I had no idea that I could actually create and design a life that I love. I thought that was just for other people. You know, the the influencers, like you say, or the, you know, the special people out there that because they had money, because they were influencers, they were the only ones that could have a life that they truly, truly loved. And what I realized over this period of time is that that is so far from the truth that we get to decide on a daily basis what our happiness looks like and what our joy looks like. And after tons and, and years, I mean, my goodness, you know, since I started my own business uh, four, you know, four and a half, almost five years ago now, I have immersed myself into all things self-development, all neuroscience, all trauma-based information. You know, yes, I'm trained as a life coach, but motivational interviewing and neuro-linguistic programming and really understanding the neuroscience behind why we do the things that we do and understanding habits at such a deep core level. And really what it comes down to is that we are our behaviors. What we believe about ourselves, our identity and, and who we think we are shows up on how we behave and the habits that we choose and the choices that we make on a daily basis. And that's all coming from beliefs, the beliefs about ourselves, the stories that we've told ourselves, the limiting beliefs that we have that create these thoughts that then create these feelings for us. And our behaviors come from our our feelings. If we don't feel good about something, we're going to want to change that feeling pretty quickly, like reaching for a glass of wine, like emotionally eating, like looking at the hot guy that just walked in the gym and you're like starved for a good hot sex with your husband. And now you see this hot guy walk in the gym, right? So these are all things that we do to shift ourselves out of this negative mood or this, what I call a protective state versus being in this beautiful, expansive state. And how do we get there? We get to choose to do that, but nobody taught us how to sit with our emotions or our feelings when we're younger. You know, when things come at us, we don't know how to deal with it. We're either escaping it, chasing it, running from it. We, we try to get away from these feelings and we'll do anything we can to make that happen so we can feel good again. And, and things like alcohol and all, all the other uh, self-sabotaging behaviors out there, even chocolate for crying out loud, right? Whatever it is, if it's given us a hit of dopamine, we're going to be all over that. We're going to be all over it because that's what works temporarily. <laughs> and then it doesn't work until it doesn't work anymore and it becomes a problem. So if you eat too much chocolate, you gain weight. That's the problem. You drink too much, you go down a whole nother cycle that creates a whole nother slew of onslaught of problems from our health and our sleep and our relationships and everything else. And then that becomes a problem. So we have to be careful with what we're choosing to do. And, um, yeah, it's a big, it's a really big piece of it. But I want to circle back to one thing you said, Kayla, it was so important. You said you found a really strong community on Instagram years ago when you, when you were starting to look at your own relationship with alcohol. And I want to encourage the listeners, you know, if, if you are in that space, yes, go find whatever platform you're on. There's communities everywhere. And I, you know, I'm on Instagram as well. It's 
gray underscore tonic. And there are so many sober communities out there and there, that community in itself, especially on Instagram is so tight and so close and everybody's so supportive. You know, I'm really, I have more of a following and more active on LinkedIn and we've created another community over there. And of course on Facebook, there's tons of Facebook groups that you can join. So there's so many options and available and no, you don't have to share your story. I think, you know, when I, when I told you my coach said to me, I think you're going to share your story with the world. I was like, dude, there's no way I'm telling anybody that I drank too much. And here, I mean, I've done, I don't know how many interviews on TV. David, PBS even did a story on me about gray area drinking. I mean, it, my story is out there for everyone to see and hear. And that didn't happen overnight. That took courage that took confidence that took me really owning who I am and stepping into it. And something happened because of that. I started to grow and expand as a human being when I was able to share my story because then nobody could hurt me on it because it's out there in the open. It was my decision to share that story. So there's, there's a healing process that comes with that. When you get to that place of, you know what, I'm going to start telling people that I've made a significant change in my life. As scary as it may seem, people will respect you and they will be so in your corner and cheering you on because they know what kind of commitment that takes for you to do that. And I encourage everyone to think about that. You don't have to do it right at first. It could take you years before you decide you even want to tell one person and that's totally up to you. But when you do, you'll find that you will start to heal and then it will no longer own you and you're free from it. And that's the beautiful thing about sharing your story. Absolutely. There's so much power in, like you said, owning who you are and also owning your story so that you're controlling the narrative. Because if someone else somehow, you know, if there's, you know, an embarrassing moment and you were drinking and, and someone else shares it, then that becomes shameful for people. But if you just own up to it and say, hey, yeah, that was the old me and actually I'm, I don't drink anymore. There's so much power in that to your point of just sharing your story. And I know it can be scary for a lot of people. I get a lot of people that message me on Instagram specifically about they are very sober curious. They know they want to quit, but they don't feel like they have the right support system socially mm -hmm. um, or relationally like within their own family units. And I always encourage them. Um, you know, I never have um, – I went to one AA meeting actually. So that's I will, I will take that back. I took I went to one AA meeting not actually because I felt at the time I was an alcoholic, but I was attending to support a family member. But when it came like around to me, I had to like introduce myself and I didn't want to be rude to the people in the room and say actually I'm not an alcoholic, so I just said I was. And just saying that made me feel so uncomfortable because to your point, I never felt like that really represented who I was even though I knew I had an issue with alcohol. So, um, you know, AA can work for so many people. It's worked for millions and probably billions of people at this point um, in, its, in the organization's history, but it didn't work for me. And it, if it doesn't work for you or if, you know, just a social online community doesn't work for you and you need to go to AA, vice versa, that's okay too. You have to find all the tools in your toolbox that support your sobriety and you just stick with those because – it is not a one-size-fits-all. And I know in your coaching, you probably focus on focus on that a lot as well. But you've totally expanded your coaching from what I understand. You're not just focusing on gray area drinking. You're focusing on living in the gray, which you mentioned. Um, and you also have 
just so many other offerings. I feel like you're an executive lifestyle coach. You've authored, co-authored a book. You're a speaker and a corporate trainer. So talk to me about what your work looks like today, um, combining the sobriety space and also the kind of the corporate space. Yeah. So the corporate space is, is so interesting. Um, it's so much fun because I don't go in talking about drinking. That's not something that I even I bring. I mean, I do mention it, but you know, while, while I'm in the middle of a presentation or a workshop, for example, but it's not a lead in. It's about really looking at habits, looking at their self-identity. I am also a certified uh, guide with Giant Worldwide, which is a huge company. They're focused on leadership and building up companies. They've trained um, big corporations such as Google and Pfizer, the Air Force, um, you know, gosh, there's Chick-fil-A is another big one. So they have done a lot of leadership training with them. And so I'm trained with them as a guide. And so a lot of the work that I do corporate has a lot to do with my work with Giant as well and, and how we empower leaders to become better, to know yourself is to lead yourself. And that's pretty much true for across the board, it doesn't matter what you are and who you are. It's if you know yourself, you can lead yourself to a much higher place. And that's a really good thing. So that's a lot of my corporate work and, and what I do with businesses and leadership teams. And then most of my clients right now, and what has evolved to over the years is really working with a lot of male business owners that are typically between the ages of 45 and 60. <clears throat> I tend to have that age group because that's my age group. So I think that's part of it. And plus, there's something that happens when you hit the 50 mark. You know, I, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm so old, like I'm 50. And honestly, it's the best decade ever. Like, I just think this is the best decade ever. There's so many beautiful things that happen. But for most people, as soon as you hit that 50, it's like the light switch goes off and it says, holy crap, what am I going to do now? Like, what now? It's the what's next, what now? Oh my gosh, the realization that time is not slowing down. I haven't completed the things I want to do. And yes, most people are pretty established by the time they hit 50, right? They got the money in the bank. They got the car. They got the kids. They're going off to school or college soon. You know, they have all those things in place, but it's like, what about them? And so they feel very lost and it doesn't matter how successful they are. It's, it's this feeling of, oh my gosh, I don't have a purpose. I don't have this deep need of fulfillment isn't there for me yet. And I, I got to find it. And because they have all this outwardly things going on, it creates so much stress and pressure and overwhelm. And then there's this guilt that comes in and shame of like, I'm not doing enough. And that causes a lot of the behaviors that we see and that we've been talking about, which puts them in a very deep negative state. And then they just spiral. So a lot of the, the clients that I currently have, again, are, are male clients that own businesses, typically seven figure businesses. And, you know, again, because they look so outwardly successful on the outside, but they're just not feeling that on the inside. Now I say that, and I do have currently one amazing uh, female client who I just adore, and I'm more of a business coach with, for her. So we're working on her starting her, her coaching practice, and I just love working with her. So I have clients of all ages and you know, both male and female, but right now I only have one female and the rest are all males. <laughs> and that's pretty typical for me. Well, I mean, they're smart men because they know that women are far superior and yes. can help guide them. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because somebody said, you know, 
wow, I didn't realize you have so many male clients. And I think the reason why is because I create a, a very safe place for these tough guys. And I think they, you know, they know I'm happily married. They know I've been in a long-term marriage. Actually, one of my current clients said to me, the reason why he was drawn to me is not only my own story with, with drinking. Cause you know, he, he's worked with me for t- a couple reasons. One, he wanted to work on his drinking, his relationship, but also he wanted to become a better leader. He runs a very large successful business and he wanted to be a better leader for his team. And he wanted to be in the best shape of his life. And he wants to be the most expanded version of himself. And he wants to be able to impact many more people than what he's currently doing. And he knows that he wouldn't be able to get there if he was to go down the same trajectory he was on. So that's why he reached out to me. So that's one example. But he said, Carrie, I was so drawn to you because you were so open and honest about your marriage. And I have to say, I'm so impressed that you and Rob were able to work things out and that you were so public about it because most people wouldn't be public. And, and that's what he was drawn to me. So I think there's this, this idea that they feel very safe with me. And I do create the atmosphere of, you can tell me anything, it stays with me, but yet I'm going to see you through the vulnerable sides that you've never been able to share. And it's getting to those vulner, the vulnerability pieces of that, of that particular person that really helps them become this expanded version of themselves. And they can't get there on their own. It's like, you know, they, they can't go to their wife. They can't go to their buddies on the golf course or at the gym. They're not going to be able to have those conversations. They can't go to a brother or somebody super close because then it's a biased opinion or, you know, they give the wrong advice because they're not trained. So, you know, what do they do? So they, I think, you know, that's the main reason why I draw the people that I do is that I create that environment for them where they can relax and open up and, finally breathe, you know, just finally take a breath and be seen. Yeah. There, there's a huge reason why people are drawn to people like you. And that's because I think there are like natural healers in the world. And I, I don't mean that in like a woo-woo, you know, erythral like sense. I mean it in truly a way that some people have the gift of just like their presence is healing. And I learned about that in my own uh, session with um, someone else who was on the podcast and we were talking about gifts and I, I feel like if people can open up so just so freely to you in that way, then you must have some sort of like healing gift in you innately on top of all of your education and all the tools that you've, you know, you have in your toolbox and that you share, you know, more publicly along with your own story. So it's kind of like the perfect, perfect storm for creating a coaching business. So I'm glad that you did that and that you're sharing that with the world because it sounds like it's it's helping so many people. And I hope the people listening to this podcast can also come away with just a few nuggets just to get a taste of what you can help people with. So if people are listening and they are feeling like some of your clients where they feel stuck, they're unhappy, they're lacking purpose, what are some things that they can ask themselves or maybe even journal about to start prompting some of these really deep thoughts that they probably need to have maybe prior to going to a coach like you for help? Yeah, such a great question. And, and, I, and I love this question so much. So the first thing is to, is to get quiet with yourself. And, and, you know, journaling thoughts is so important because it's that, again, it's that internal voices that we have inside that are really nagging at us. And writing down like your frustrations and your fears and what 
angers you, why you don't like things, and then start to think about and visualize for yourself, what would it look like for you to have all the things that you think you want? And I say think you want, you know, the things that you think you want, because sometimes we think that having the stuff is going to make us happy, but you know, what would it feel like for you to really love the space and the home that you're in currently? What would need to have to happen in order for that to become something that you really truly enjoy? What about the marriage that you're currently in? You know, what would need to happen for you to feel, you know, truly loved and seen and heard and connected to this other human being? What does that look like? What is the fear behind that? A lot of times this is a communication thing that we get stuck on is it's like, I don't know how to say it. I don't want to have the hard conversation. So therefore I'm going to keep my head buried so I don't have to deal with it. But when we're really open and we have a way of communicating with our loved ones and we can start off by saying, there's something that's really weighing on me and I really want to have a conversation with you. Are you in a position right now for me to be open about it with you or is there another time? And we want, always want to give that permission. We want to get that permission from the other person before we just blast off on what's on our mind. We want to make sure they're in the right headspace, that they're going to be able to reciprocate some good conversation back and forth. But I think being bold with having the difficult conversations, and if there's certain areas of your life that you don't like, such as your job, which is another big area, and you're not happy with it, what would it look like for you to be happy? What would what would need to happen in order for you to feel like you have more time, that you have more uh, space, that you you know could go to the gym ten o'clock in the morning versus you know only at five a.m. or seven p.m. at night? What would that look like? What are your interests? And it's not so much about the how because the how always reveals itself when you start to take action, but it's the questions that you ask yourself that will get you there. Asking like, well, I don't know, like the I don't knows and I'm trying and it's too hard. That kind of verbiage keeps us stuck in this, in this ender, never ending cycle of a downward spiral. Instead asking, well, what would I need to do in order to make that happen? Who do I know that might be able to introduce me to so-and-so who could get me into that interview with this particular place that I want to work at. Um, those types of questions are very beneficial. When you start to ask your brain certain questions, it will search for the answers versus the I don't knows and I, I'm trying and it's too hard and, and I don't know how. I just want to know the how. Everybody wants to know the strategy, but it's more about getting really quiet and in tune with the areas of your life that you don't have that internal peace, where you feel like you're unfulfilled, what would it look like for you to feel that way and actually feeling it and visualizing it and feeling it like stamping it on your nervous system will help you orchestrate the thoughts that you need to ask yourself to get you out of that rut. And literally, you said it too, about having a coach come alongside of you. Doesn't matter who, you know, well, it does matter who it is. You want to make sure that you like that person, that you feel trust, uh, that you could trust that person, that you feel very seen. You want to do your research around whoever you work with, whether that's a counselor, a therapist, a coach, um, a pastor, a church, you know, you don't always just want to go to family and friends. They're too close. But seeing somebody like a coach, a coach is, is different from a therapist or a counselor. They're very focused on forward motion. 
We're, we're there to guide and come alongside you. I like to think of myself and other coaches as the, you know, the, the guardrails and bowling, for example, they're, they're not going to let you get in the gutter. They're there to bounce you back into the middle of the lane so you can hit the pins ahead. And so that's a really good analogy, thinking about a coach. We're there to support you. We're there to ask you the right questions, to guide you, to help you reach those, those goals, those big goals that you have for yourself. And uh, lastly, let me say this too about goals. I love goals. Goals are great. But intentions is more important. You want to know why you're doing the thing that you want to do. If you're not happy with where you're at right now, you have to understand, like, what is your intention for you to feel better? Understanding the why behind it and then placing your intentions. What is my intention for today? They are present-based and they're much better than having this long-term goal because the intentions will actually get you to your goal. So you start off by by the knowing what the why is, why you want to even make this change in your life, why this is so important. Usually it's of something of deep value and then really putting those, those actions into play by saying some daily intentions for yourself to help you get through the day to get to those actionable items that will reach you to those goals that you want to have. That is so smart. Intention is everything. And that's truly how I feel if you live an intentional life that you'll live a fulfilled life. And I just could not agree more with the fact that you need to know why you're doing something before you set the goal of doing it. <laughs> so yes, exactly. totally could not be more aligned there. Um, back to our earlier conversation just a little bit about all of your accomplishments. So you started a new career path, you got sober, your marriage, you know, is now at the best pl- in the best place it's ever been, and you also co-authored a book. And I really want to talk about this because the title is intriguing to say the least. So it's called The Successful Mind: Tools for Living a Purposeful, Productive and Happy Life. Who would not want that, right? And I love that you have the word tools in there because so many books I feel like kind of talk about how you could live a life, but they don't give you like tangible advice on how to do that. So tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to write it and also what people can expect if they pick up a copy. Yeah. So that's an anthology book. And if you're not familiar with what an anthology is, it's it's a number of authors. I was one of many, there was a lot of co-authors in that book, 30, I think there was 33 of us. So each of us wrote a chapter on which we felt would be the best mindset tool that would help somebody or whether it was a story or whatever. So there was, and the people that were in this book with me are incredible leaders. And there's tons of doctors in the book and uh, PhD um, individuals and professionals and just incredible coaches. And Eric's, uh, Eric, um, Eric Stevenson is the main author and he is just an incredible human being and has written a number of books now as well. And he actually contacted me based on my story that he saw on LinkedIn. And he said, listen, I really need for you to write about your story, but bringing in a tool that is going to help. And I said, absolutely. I already know the tool that I'm going to use, which is the Sabre method. And the Sabre method is what I wrote the chapter on. It wasn't called that. It was. It's called Living in the Gray, A Power Struggle Within. And it's all about having this cognitive dissonance um, that we go through whenever we have two incongruent thoughts that are battling with each other inside of our mind, this power struggle that we have. And so the Sabre method is my own methodology 
that I believe was given to me straight from God. And I, and I'm not joking when I say that I had an experience at a grocery store two years after I quit drinking that really brought me to my knees of me wanting just to break down and get a bottle of Chardonnay and say, screw it. And two days later, it was on a Sunday. I didn't go to church. It was a February. It was cold. It was really snowy out. And I thought about what I did in the grocery store to get through that moment. And I couldn't recall all the steps. And I I literally said a prayer. I said, God, will you please help me remember what those steps were? And I'm not joking. I I, I swear he said to me, pick up a pen and start writing. And what came out of that was, was stop, acknowledge, breathe, and redirect. And it was S-A-B-R. And I, I thought, well, that's interesting. That looks like it's saber, but you know, if I throw an E in there, then it could be saber, like, you know, like the sword, like, you know, a, a weapon, if you will, of slaying these negative thoughts. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So that's what I wrote it wrote the chapter about. And it's interesting because saber really works like a verb. And so any of my clients, you know, they'll say to me, I sabered through it. You know, I use saber today. I had to use saber five times today, Carrie, you know. So I'll tell you what the, I'll tell you what it is really quickly. It's it's stop. You say the word stop out loud and when you do it cuts off your thinking just enough to give you some time and space for you to acknowledge which is the A and saber of what you're actually thinking about. You're not judging your thoughts at this point. You're just acknowledging that they're there. It's almost like if you've done meditation and you have thoughts come in your mind, you know, they'll say like, you don't want to give meaning or give the thoughts any more attention than what they are. We just want to notice like clouds that they're there. And so that's what we're doing with our, with our thinking in this moment by saying, stop, we cut off the thinking just to give you that couple second break. Now we're acknowledging the thoughts. We're looking at the thoughts and and we're saying, is, is this really true? Or could there be something else that is true? And then naturally you're going to take a deep breath. This happened in real life for me. This is how the saber was born, but this happens for everybody when you're in this situation and you use the saber, you'll see that you'll naturally take a, a couple deep breaths. Staying in the breath is huge here because we want to move your, your autonomic nervous system from this sympathetic fight, flight, or freeze response into a parasympathetic state of rest and digest. And the fastest way we can do that with our nervous system is through breathing. That deep controlled in and out through our nose and through our and through our nose and out through out through our mouth. When we do that enough times, we really get ourselves in a calm state. And the E is so important. This is the part that I missed originally when I was thinking about this when I had that conversation on that Sunday with God in February. I said, you know, I when I thought back on it, I really had to give myself some grace. And that's the E is embrace. Embrace where you're at. Embrace the situation because we are so conditioned, hardwired from our former habits and the habits that we currently have. We become automatic with our habits. Like we don't have to think about driving a car and putting our foot on the brake when we see a stop sign. Our brain knows we just do it. We just know to put our foot on the brake to hit the hit the brake so we can stop, right? So everything we do habit-wise is automatic. So I had to realize that that former pattern of me wanting to have a drink because I had a crappy day at work was just a former pattern that was coming alive again in my brain. And I had to give myself the grace in that moment. It was embracing myself with a hug to say, it's okay, girl. It's okay. 
And the R is redirect. And we redirect our thinking. And we do that by two ways. First, we got to move into gratitude. Gratitude is the fastest way to move out of a protective state and into an expansive state. So we want to go into gratitude. I'm so grateful that I'm sober or alcohol-free at that point, almost two years. It was 18 months to be exact. I'm so grateful that I haven't had a drink in 18 months. And here I am standing at the grocery store looking at this bottle of Chardonnay, drooling over it because I wanted it so badly. I'm so grateful that I have power over that bottle of wine, right? And then I moved into the next phase of redirect, which is I made a new empowering decision. That a new empowering decision was I'm going to get my fish dinner, which is why I came in the grocery store in the first place. And I'm going to go pick up some more club soda and cranberry juice and go home. And I redirected my attention and my thoughts to something that was going to better serve me. And that's what got me out of that situation at the grocery store when I was so triggered by this big display of wine. And my mouth was literally watering for this bottle of Chardonnay that I almost broke down and bought it. And that quickly, it all happened within, you know, real time, less than a minute. But doing those steps really helped me get out of it. And that's what the book chapter was about in the Successful Mind book. But I share that openly and freely because the Sabre has helped so many people and I give it away for free. It came to me for free. I give it away for free because I think it's one of the most amazing tools and it's based on neuroscience and it works every time. Sometimes you got to sit with the breath a lot longer, but it works if you work it. If you really sit with it and you think about it and you walk through those steps, you'll be able to get out of that cognitive dissonance that you're dealing with. Yeah. I think the the thing that you mentioned that really struck me in that it's that you say the word stop audibly. Um, and I just think there's a lot of power in that because when you say stop to someone in your own life externally, so you're not saying it to yourself, there is that kind of like visceral reaction that they usually have like, whoa, you just told me stop. Like yes. there, it's there's something actually happens to someone when they hear that. And so for you to say it to yourself, I never would have thought of that as kind of a tool and a tactic to get yourself out of a certain situation mentally. Um, yeah. So I really, I really love that saber. I'm going to remember that and hopefully use it. I'm probably going to have to use it even tomorrow because I'm a mom of two. I work full time. <laughs> I have a podcast on the side. Yeah. There is no shortage of moments where I feel a little overwhelmed. Um, so I think, yeah, that's something that we can all certainly take, just take and put in our toolbox. But of course, if they want to learn more, they should certainly pick up the book because um, it sounds like there's so many other people that contributed and I'm sure they they all have their own little nuggets like you oh, did. Oh, it, it's phenomenal. It's such a great book and it, it there is a lot of great tools in there. And listen, going back to the saber, if you only get the first three letters, stop, acknowledge what you're thinking about without judgment and breathing. If you just get to those three steps, you can usually get yourself out of but out of it. But the most, you know, the really the most important steps then after that is really giving yourself that grace because we're so human. I mean, we're so flawed. Mm -hmm. Let's just be real. We're so flawed as humans. And redirecting into and in gratitude and a new empowering decision for yourself is going to really, really hone in that new state of consciousness and being for yourself and moving into that parasympathetic state where you're in control and you're in gratitude and you feel expansive. You'll be able to get out of it. And it's, you know, it's hard for people to to get to that E and the R, and but it is worth it. 
Um, and there's another anthology coming out um, this year called Limitless. And in that book, it'll be out um, in the fall. That that uh, uh, chapter that I wrote with some other people really takes a deep dive into my personal story all the way back to age seven when I smoked my first cigarette and declared to my mom I was going to be a cigarette smoker. So therefore, I became one by age 11 and smoked for 37 years. So I go into all of that stuff um, in that book. And that really, that was, it's called, my chapter is called Words Matter. And I really focus on the importance of identity um, and the things that we say outwardly become our truth, which is one reason, just like you, I didn't like AA and saying, hi, I'm Carrie and I'm an alcoholic. It just did not sit well with me. And I share that story in there too. So it's, it's, it's a really, uh, it's, I'm really proud of this particular chapter. And then next year I have my own book coming out. And I will say for the listeners, um, plug in another friend's book, Intoxicating Lies. Uh, She's such a sweetheart. She just, Megan, her name is, she just wrote this book. Um, It came out about a month ago. And she talks about her journey as a gray area drinker. And uh, I'm so honored and blessed that I was selected along with uh, Jolene Park, who did the TEDx on gray area drinking, and um, Annie Grace from This Naked Mind. Oh, wow. Um, Big names. Yeah, my friend Heather Lowe um, with Ditch the Drink and Jen Kutcher of Sober Sis. All of us were quoted in in her book. Um, Jen wrote the foreword to it from Sober Sis. And so that was a beautiful project. And I didn't even know about it. This was the best part is I didn't even know that she put me in her book, not once, but twice until after it was published. And she sent me a copy and said, thank you for all of your uh, contribution to the gray area drinking space, because I've looked up for you for years. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, what? And so that was quite the, um, quite the compliment. And uh, I'm going to be going live with her next week on Instagram, talking about her story and my story and her book a little bit more. But that's a really good book read, if, if uh, especially if you're a, a mom. That's a great Ooh. book. Well, a lot of people can relate to it. I will definitely have to pick that one up because I could certainly use up all the help I can get in this season of motherhood. It's kind of chaotic. And you know, yeah. thank, I thank God every single day that I surrendered and I know that's a key element of of AA, but I I think most sober people probably share that same um, sentiment that you have to surrender and accept that – not that necessarily you're powerless to alcohol. I think I'm actually more powerful than alcohol, especially now that I'm sober. Yeah. But yes. I think you have to accept that you just drink differently than other people and maybe also you're more aware than other people. Maybe you drink less than other people, but – you're aware that it doesn't make you feel good and therefore you're accepting it, you're taking responsibility for your actions and you're changing your behavior. And I think anyone that is listening that is in that camp where you just don't feel like you can put a label on yourself of alcoholic, addict, gray area drinker, whatever the case may be, if if it doesn't make you feel good, why are you doing it? And yeah, I, exactly. I think, Amen. Yeah, that's just like I would love for every our culture to get more to that part of the conversation. Um, I saw an ad just to put a bow on this this topic of sobriety, which I could talk about for hours because I absolutely love it and I'm so passionate about it. I saw a commercial for, I think it's another Marvel movie called Ant-Man. And he was opening um, a Heineken like 0.0. And it wasn't an ad for like, it wasn't an ad for Heineken. 
where they showed all of their options, it was just a 0.0 ad. Yes. And I, I was I was like, this is a Marvel movie talking yes. about non-alcoholic beer. That should tell you like the alcohol industry not should be scared because they can create non-alcoholic options and we will all buy them. But they should definitely listen up because I do think like you mentioned, the tide is shifting and it's not to shame anyone that drinks right now because that's not the point of this conversation. But I think there should be options for people. Who don't drink? Oh, there you you yeah. You're preaching to the choir with this girl. That is my big. That's one of the big advocacies I'm trying. I'm trying to be an advocate for is because I really think there needs to be more options. It's no different than going to a restaurant and you being gluten intolerant and seeing gluten free options on the menu or vegetarian options or whatever. That you know there really needs to be more. In- inclusivity of, of people who choose not to drink. And, and I'll say this too about the non-alcoholic beverage space. It is a massively growing industry. It's, it's, it's increased 120% over the past three years. And Budweiser recently, well, Anheuser-Busch InBev recently put out, I think it was on Forbes. No, it wasn't Forbes. It was World Finance. I think it's worldfinance.com put out an article that they are striving to have one fifth of their entire product inventory dedicated to the non-alcoholic space by 2025. And by 2028, they want to be at 1.7, um, was it 1.7 billion? It was more than that. I want to say it was I don't. It was a lot. It was. It was was so much. It was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous amount. But even for Imbev to say they want one fifth of their of their um, inventory to be non alcoholic, I thought that was amazing. And uh, that's what I'm saying. The tide is turning. I mean, we have a sober. I mean, not sober. We have a dry bottle shop here in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm at, and we're getting a. that place, I think it's called Kava. It's K-A-V-A. They have them in Florida. We're getting that now. We have a couple uh, sober bars that are popping up. Like it's happening, you know, it's, and it's not just our, our city here in Richmond. It's, it's already happening in Chicago and Austin, Texas and New York city. And there's a couple places across the country. And yeah, I mean, find your people. That's, that's, they're out there. I promise you all walks of life. It's not, you know, if, if you're into the recovery crowd, there's, there's so many people for you. If you're not into that, there's people out there for you as well. You just need to find your people. Amen. I completely agree. And like you said, there's someone out there for everyone. So if, you know, if what we're saying doesn't resonate with you, please don't just turn your back to the sober community. Um, I'm hoping it resonates with at least one person, but even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not for you. So just keep asking yourself those tough questions, um, especially if you're feeling stuck, like Carrie mentioned, and and hopefully you see that alcohol is absolutely a crutch and it will not solve any of your problems. It might temporarily make you feel less anxious. It might temporarily make you feel more carefree and social, but the next day it rears its ugly head and you are paying tenfold for any type of alcohol that you consumed. I can promise you that. And if you aren't now, <laughs> you will as you age. So enjoy your youth if you are listening <laughs> and you're enjoying alcohol because those hangovers sneak up on you. Once I hit 30, I was like, what happened to my body? I can't metabolize it the way I used to. Well, I got to share this with you, Kayla, really, really quick. So I'm working out with a personal trainer. And the other day she said, listen, girl, because I told her I had some Indian food last week. And she said, this is what she said to me, nothing tastes as good as being healthy and strong feels. And I was like, 
dang, isn't that the truth? And I thought that is so true of all habits. Nothing tastes as good or makes you feel as good as when you have the veil lifted, the fog is no longer clouding your judgment and you don't have this, this toxin, this poison destroying your life in every single aspect. And again, like you said early on, you don't even know what you don't know when you're drinking because you don't even know what it's like to feel alive. <laughs> yeah. And and so circling back and like you said, tying this up into a nice bow, that's why I love my life so much. It's because I finally decided, now it, it's taken me a little bit of time. You know, it wasn't just I quit drinking. That was That was the first step. Okay, great. But there was way more work to be done way more work. It was going deep. It was understanding my childhood, understanding my my trauma as a kid, understanding the, the importance of identity, understanding why my and why and how my brain works so that it does, understanding my patterns, and then coming to a place of gratitude and shifting perspective and understanding that things are always working for me, no matter even if I have the worst flipping day of, of the year, there's always a blessing to be found and it's just to be patient and to trust. You know, I have a big, deep faith, but you know, I trust, trust, trust as bad as things can be. I still trust. Listen, I had, I just had COVID. I battled strep throat and my engine blew in my car all within three weeks of each other. And I'm like, you know what? This is all <laughs> blessing. This working for me, like something, <laughs> something's good is coming from this and you just move on. So I, I want every person on this planet to get to a place where they can truly say that they love their life. Oh my gosh, that would just be the ultimate. I know it's a big tall order, but one person at a time. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's how you enact change, right? Like one step at a time, one person at a time, one story at a time. Yeah. And um, it it leads me to my last and final question of every interview I, I ever do on this podcast. And I know that you're going to have a fantastic answer based on this podcast interview. Um, but Carrie, what does living a life well-lived mean to you? Having this deep internal peace that you can't even imagine what it feels like to be so content and filled with complete joy. And it's the simplest things. It's not about money. It's not about being an influencer. It's not about social media. It's not about friends. It's about a deep connection with your creator where you're so happy and joyful with this internal peace that goes so deep that you can't put a finger on it. That's what it means. That's beautiful. I love that you that you incorporated your faith in that because it really just encapsulates who you are. And I have so enjoyed this interview. I could talk to you for hours um, but for the sake of of your evening and the the sake of our listeners to not get too bored listening to me ramble on, um, where can people find you if they want to connect on social media or on the internet or wherever? Yeah, well, my website's Gray Tonic is G R A Y. I have to put that out there because you know the United States we're the only country that spells Gray G R A Y. Every place else is E Y, but <laughs> it's GrayTonic.com. And then Instagram it's Gray underscore Tonic. And I am on pretty active on LinkedIn. That is my jam. And uh, my business page is Great Tonic on there, but also under Carrie Schwer. I'm the only Carrie Schwer on social, so I'm so easy to find. <laughs> That's a great, I mean, hey, it's a great name. It's unique. Yeah. And I think Gray Tonic, I can't imagine there's like too many other platforms that also have that name. So you've got, yeah, you've got that going for you for, for SEO abilities. Yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Kayla, thank you so much for your beautiful uh, hosting skills and just amazing your your beautiful soul. And I, I appreciate being here and with your listeners today. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Kayla underscore underscore Brandon. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.